Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And uh, we got a special guest on this one. So Peyton, why don't you introduce our guest before he is uh, shocked and appalled that he accepted our invitation to be on the podcast. Well, the, it, we have today as our guest a sexy church planning bald man of God, and he knows it. And uh, we're here to uh, talk about, well, we're going to talk with Justin Meyer. He is a serial church planter at large. Uh, he is my, um, I would say evil twin, but, uh, you know, he's he's my... But he's yeah, better looking. Be my evil twin? That'd be cool. He's That'll better work. looking, so, it, you know. There's, there's I don't want to say that. So they come up with evil, right? So uh, you got anyways, all the gray. We, you got the gray in the goat. He does not. He's got a nice, clean, dark beard, which means he's much younger. You can tell. I'm yes, jealous. Yeah. He's he's not as gray as I am. He's probably well. You, you think he's sexier, Pete? Let's just keep it at that. <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, he's probably taller than me, which that, that makes me really upset. But that doesn't take much to be taller than you. So no, no, it doesn't. Now I'm all scrappy. Got my short man syndrome going. Hey, Justin, welcome on to the Church Planner Podcast, man. Good to have it. Tell us a little bit about your story. First off, first thing we like to ask is how you got saved, and then tell us the rest of your story, man. Yeah, it it's crazy in the sense of when I look back, God is an amazing God, and. Well, let, let me first start by saying I, I was brought up in in a fairly Christian home. My uh, uh, my parents split when I was young, but uh, both of my parents found a good Christian people to marry. And uh, my stepmother, her dad, uh, became my pastor, and uh, my mother married a, a Nazarene a youth minister. And so I grew up in church. Uh, What's kind of interesting, though, is even growing up in church, one predominantly a mainline church and the other fairly evangelical, I thought it was good enough just to show up. And I guess part of the interesting part of my story is I actually became a pastor before I ever was saved. Mm. And so uh, I was I was serving in a mega church in the Midwest, in a mainline mega church in the Midwest of about 4000 people mm. uh, at a very young age. I started college when I was 14, and so uh, I started serving in this church right before my 18th birthday. And uh, and uh, so I was associate pastor at a, a mega church and, and didn't know Jesus. And uh, went through a lot of different things, and over time uh, I ended up in another group where I was called to uh, start a college ministry in Purdue, at Purdue University in Lafayette, Indiana. and. Uh, a Southern Baptist pastor actually led me to the Lord at the age of uh, 22. And so I uh, had been pastoring in two different tribes and in a few different churches and uh, and uh, found Jesus that way. I'd been going on the, the merits of a, of, a, of a grandfather and family in ministry and 
but never really became a disciple until that that point in time. So oh, right uh, that, that led me to a place, though, to understand discipleship and what it really means, I, I think, to truly become a follower of Jesus. Everything else for me was kind of a, an intellectual exercise. Mm. Uh, it was good to, to preach from the Word because there were some good ideas there. But at the point where I, I let uh, Jesus become the, the King or the Lord of my life, everything became different. And uh, that started my family on an adventure uh, that, that we're still living out today. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. Wow. That's an interesting That's awesome. story. I don't think I've ever heard that one before, that someone was a pastor before they got saved. So it's and, – and, and at a mega church to boot, right? Like, wow. <laughs> now, did, did you – I, I got to ask this. Did you like – see yourself as someone saved or how did you view yourself? Like, did you know I'm not saved, but Hey, I got a job here. So that's kind of a good gig. No, I would say I didn't know I wasn't saved. I thought I was set. Like I was a good person. I was doing Jesus's work. Right. Uh, but it, it was very empty. I was proclaiming a lot of good ideas, uh, but I wasn't ever really seeing transformation in my life. Mm. Uh, I would say God still used me in some of the lives of others, but you know, he, he did that with Joseph too. Uh, and so it, it was just, it, it was an interesting wrestling match. And I think what it was, was no one ever confronted me with, Hey, have you ever really decided to follow and go all out? Because before it was a job, I mean, it, it was vocational. Right. I was the poster child for a certain tribe. I started young, you know, seminary here now in a big church, and it it just didn't all connect. And wow, uh, and so I, it was I the confrontation and conviction of the Holy Spirit which got me there, I think. I can't think of anywhere more miserable to be than in ministry as a non-believer. That must have sucked. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't bad because there wasn't – it was very sheltered, right? I stood up on a, on a stage. I worked with a staff. It was very, it's very a very sterile environment. And and I don't want to uh, pass judgment on anyone I was working with, but I, there are days I wonder how many of them were were also saved. Mm, but it was right. because we were in a mainline tradition, right? And and not to bash mainline churches. There are good godly people in in yeah. some of our our mainline churches. Sure, but uh, they are not necessarily evangelical and and not necessarily. Uh, proclaiming the word. And Amen. so yeah. it's just an exercise. Uh, it was okay because I thought I was important. Uh, what really, the, the confrontation though about spending eternity and why and having that revealed to me through scripture that I'd read probably hundreds of times, right? but never confronted myself with it, that, that's what changed. You know, the, right. the Holy Spirit really did a work at that point. Wow, man. That's awesome. And, uh, well, you know, what's been your story since then? Because obviously with a story that unique, um, I I know what you do, right? I know what you do for a living. So um, I know that you have a unique story leading up to that because what you do is unique. So um, go ahead and hit us with that, man. Well, I, I bounced around uh, through different tribes, uh, different denominations, wrestling with things and, and really discovering myself. Uh, I did not step down from being a pastor, and uh, so I was a pastor when confronted, and it changed a whole 
whole lot of different things, but it, it made me really start out on a search to, to find where I thought I might fit in, where I might want to partner on mission with a group of people. And I spent some time in the non-denominational world. So again, worked in some mega churches, worked in some small churches on the prairie, uh, just bounced around. And finally, uh, I was serving at a, a small independent Christian church in, uh, in Martinsville, Illinois. And we'd seen some great things happen uh, in the church. We went uh, from, from a little under 60 to over 180 in about six months. Uh, the Southern Baptist Church in town was rocking. They were, were growing and multiplying. Uh, the Bible Church in town, and this is just a, an itty-bitty town of, of 1,200 people. The Bible Church was blowing up. And it seemed like really connected with a lot of people. So I began to wrestle with what was next. And in a small town just down the road was a, a Chinese family that opened a Chinese restaurant in another itty-bitty community called KZ, Illinois, and we began to talk with them. And we found out that they were missionaries sent here to the United States, a, a Chinese family, to reach U.S. citizens because the church here in the United States was shrinking and had gotten off track. And... That really convicted my wife and I, and so we began to wrestle with the idea of what it meant to start planting churches. Mm. And so, that's uh, crazy we, talk, Justin. That's crazy talk. Yeah, right. Right. We <laughs> over over <laughs> some orange chicken and uh, some I don't know egg foo young or something. We we fell under conviction again. Uh, I love the whole thing. Some days I don't like the Holy Spirit because, you know, it's rough, but other days he changes everything. And even on the rough days, he still changes stuff, but sure. it's not as comfortable. But anyway, so we we felt this call. And so we, we packed up and at first we went to Alaska to look at planting a church in Seward, Alaska. And while we were there, uh, last night we were there. And I'll tell you, what brought us to Alaska was not the right thing. It had to be a God thing. Because the guy who brought us there wanted to start a cult. He really did. Hmm. And uh, we weren't down with that sound. And so uh, the last night we're in Alaska, after two weeks there, I, I roll over in bed to my wife and I said, sweetheart, I know I know, I said we'd never move back to Kansas. But I said, I think Lauren, uh, God is calling us to plant a church in Lawrence, Kansas. Hmm. And she said, he already told me that. I just needed you two to work that out yourselves. <laughs> We went back to Illinois, packed up everything, and and moved uh, out west uh, to the place that we didn't grow up in Lawrence, but we grew up in Kansas, and we moved back to the place we said we'd never go. And uh, we, we planted a church. It daughtered four churches in four years fairly quickly. Our ministry focused on reaching homeless people, on reaching addicts, and reaching people uh, who struggled with sexual identity. Uh, we grew fairly fast. Uh, there were a lot of people in that area struggling with those things. Uh, God really blessed us. We sent out people to plant in Owasso, Oklahoma, San Antonio, Texas, Columbia, Missouri, and Kansas City, Missouri. And wow. uh, started four churches out that way. And uh, one day I was sitting in a coffee shop prepping for my message let that me, night. Let me just stop you for a second because um, I, I like how you just kind of, yeah, we started four churches. <laughs> just move on. Like how many... How many churches to date have you been instrumental in planting? I don't know. Last year I worked with, now worked with takes different shapes and different levels, but last year I worked with 63 churches. Uh, when we uh, lived in the RV, which we'll get to, 
uh, I think we we helped launch almost 24 churches, give or take, roughly. Okay. So so now you've really got people's attention, right? Yeah. This is this is the Apostle Paul stuff, right? This is, you know, move around, plant, leave church plants in your wake as you're as you're preaching the gospel and raising up people. So okay, back back to the coffee shop, four churches planted. Yeah, I'm 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 reading and prepping for for this message. We meet on Sunday night, so I'd go out in the community and and just sit with people, not a Christian coffee shop, just a good old rate, because these are the people that, that we feel called to reach, right? Like these people who don't have anywhere to call their spiritual faith home. And so I, I always like to, to get out with them when I'm, I'm working on something, because it just reminds me why I do what we do. Well, I'm, I'm going over the scripture with, with Jesus and the rich young ruler, and uh, he, you know, Jesus says, sell everything, follow me. And uh, I'm, I'm explaining in my notes, you know, how this works in Western culture, how Jesus really doesn't call us to sell everything, but, you know, sacrificing is a good, and something just hits me, again, mm. Holy Spirit thing, and I just begin to weep, uh, because God says to me at that point, yeah, that may not be for everyone, but that is for you, and, you know, and I don't want to say it's not for everyone, what I do want to say is, that Jesus may ask you to sell everything. I don't know, right? He's going to ask something of you when you decide to make him king, right? And so that that's what he did ask me. And so I start, you can even get back on Facebook. I start, you know, sending out stuff about this wrestling. I'm just sobbing. And uh, through this, I come to the realization that I'm supposed to sell everything and move into an RV. And, uh, it takes a, a few days for us to get there, but we get there as a family, so we pretty much get rid of everything, and we start traveling around helping churches launch, uh, doing some of the work ourselves uh, in raising up groups, partnering with a lot of different groups. Luckily, I'm part of a tribe uh, that was founded on the idea that really there's just one big church, and so we love everybody, so helped SBC churches, helped AG churches, helped Anglican churches. I mean, you name it. We're kind of in their mix. Uh, uh, Ed Stetzer had us come out and launch Grace uh, Grace Church, uh, his church out in Hendersonville. And so, uh, you know, we just we traveled around, and finally uh, the boss in my tribe, our executive director, said, hey, we're doing a lot of work out east. Why don't we settle you down in Pennsylvania for a bit? But, yeah, we, we, we traveled place to place. We stayed four to six weeks in places and then moved on for two years and then moved on to the next place. So what was your um, kind of MO when you would get to a place, four to six weeks in a place, which, you know, uh, they they say that Paul was, you know, anywhere from, you know, two to four months in each church plant, right, as he moved around through Asia Minor. What did you do? What how, what did you find yourself uh, kind of doing as he got? Obviously, you were listening to the Holy Spirit. There's no way that a guy like you does what you do. And you can come up with a formula. I know that about you already, right? Because right. I do similar, although you're kind of like what I do on steroids, right? right. <laughs> but you're, uh, you know, you're you're doing this. But I mean, what what were the areas of focus? Well, I, I think it's a struggle for a lot of church planters today, and we may talk a little bit about this a little later. But for me, I think oftentimes what what church planters do is they get hooked on a model 
And so they just chase after either a, a, either a personality uh, or a model. And, and I'll be honest, I, I started out that way when, uh, when we planted River City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. I, I was a Mark Driscoll disciple. And so in the beginning, which was very ineffective uh, because of the people we were trying to reach, River City Church was a mini Mars Hill. Uh, because I thought that's what it meant to be successful, right? right. Uh, learned that, that that's not successful. Uh, what's successful is what really what we teach missionaries, which is how to contextualize the church in a specific location. And that deals with language. It deals with colors. It de- and, and so what I found myself doing in these small periods of time which were was just becoming a missionary to relate to people on the ground in their culture mm-hmm. and context. At times it would frustrate my wife, right? Because I would be a totally different person six weeks later because my, my speech would change. My speech patterns would change because we'd be planting one month in the South and then the next month in the Northeast, you know, right. and you don't talk the same way and you don't use the same stories. <laughs> I mean, it, it's completely different yeah. cultures. And then even when you're dealing with different tribes, right? You deal with Southern Baptists who are cessationists when it comes to gifts of the Spirit. And then you have me talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we're dealing with Assemblies of God people. And right. <laughs> and, and my wife's like, really? You got multiple personalities. But, but really, it was just being contextual. And she's grown to accept that and learn also how to be that. And so yeah. on the ground, we would learn how to connect with people and gather them. Right. That's really what it's about is building a, the relationship contextually and not trying to, to force something down someone's throat, but explain the story of God in ways that people associate, understand and relate to in their culture and context. Right. I dig so, it, man. Yeah. And we would critique we would critique mailers and different things like that. But those are weird, different story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Well, in our culture, church planning is more sexy and trendy today than any other time in history. Um, there are numerous planning conferences during the year, thousands of planners attending. So why do some say that Christianity is shrinking here in the States? Yeah, that's that's a, an interesting topic that, that I think we, we really need to wrestle with as the Western church, right? In the 1920s, uh, there were 26 churches per capita for every 10,000 people in the United States. Today, the number is roughly 11 or 12 churches for every 10,000. Uh, and, you know, there's church planting conferences everywhere. I've, you've spoken at some. I've spoken at some. I mean, Exponential now has two arms, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, both with eight to 10,000 people showing up. And when we when we talk about church planting in today's historical context. It is trendy and sexy, definitely, but I would say we're not doing it as good as we have done it in the past, Hmm. right? Second Great Awakening, Hmm. churches were just moving crazy everywhere. And, And I would say we're, in the United States, we're starting to see some of the impact of that because churches tend to have life cycles. Three generations, they plateau, and then start the death spin, right? And so for some churches, that's five years. For other churches, it's 50 or 100 years, but they just right. keep that downward track. Uh, and so I think we're, we're reaping some of that. 
right? Uh, we are just now hitting the point in time where the Great Awakening churches are closing down in mass numbers. Tom right. Rainer said somewhere in a blog post that he thinks in 2013, between eight and 10,000 churches closed in the United States. Close their doors for good. We're used to saying over and over about 4,000 churches, you know, close their doors for good every year. It, that's over double. And that's a, that's a sociological issue, right? It's just facts and trends, but there's not as many churches out there. And when some churches close, the people don't go to new churches. So some people don't claim to be followers or Christians anymore. But I think there's four really big issues we need to tackle uh, when it comes to the area of church planting and identifying why it is that, that the church is shrinking here in the States. And uh, what I mean by the church shrinking is, one, that physical structures are closing their doors more. But secondly, uh, when it comes to the research and the statistics, uh, more people, more and more people are claiming less affiliation to being part of the body of Christ. Right. Okay. So more people are saying either I'm part of another religious group or I have no affiliation at all. So why, why is that happening when church planting is such a an awesome thing right now? Why? Because everyone wants to be a church planter. Well, I think the first reason is, is that uh, many church planters have bought into the American dream and not bought into the mission of God. Mm. Uh, if you think about it, we send a lot, and, and I think even church planting organizations do this too. I, I know my tribe wrestles with this, but can we be happy if a planter goes out and has a congregation of 200 people and is sustainable and has a paycheck and is sending in, in our tribe, it's a tithe check, right, a support check back to the denominator. Can we be happy if they've gathered 200 people but yet have not made any new disciples of Jesus? I would say in Western culture, in the Western church, there are numerous groups that are pleased with that. And there are church planters out there that are more concerned with sustainability than making disciples. I think they set out with the idea to make new disciples of Jesus, but they bought into a lie on some level about what makes disciples, right? Some people would say worship service makes disciples. If you look at a lot of the church plants today, they, their biggest thing is let's get a worship service off the ground. Right. I'd make Absolutely. the argument, and I think the research makes the argument, that if you don't make new disciples of Jesus before you start having a worship service, the chance of, of really making new disciples after starting that worship service is very little. Because yeah. you put, put all your energy into the show, right? And I'm, I'm not saying attractional church planting is the spawn of Satan or anything like that. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, uh, we... We have this philosophical battle we really need to tackle. And, and this thing isn't about getting sustainable in the sense that we get a paycheck. And that's why I say there's a lot of guys out there that have bought into the American dream. They see church planting as a route to be in charge and to get a paycheck. And on some level have a platform, right, to be popular. Their goal is to, yeah. to speak at exponential. Yeah. I think yep. the mission of God is very different. 
think the mission of God says it's all about reconciliation, the reconciliation of all things to him. We're not just talking about souls, but souls are important. Uh, so, so the addict needs to be reconciled to God to no longer be an addict. The sexual uh, uh, predator needs to be reconciled so they're no longer a sexual predator. The homeless person needs to have either finances or mental health or uh, job performance. Those things need to be reconciled along with their souls. Yeah. Right? Uh, so all things are reconciled to God. That's the mission of God to me. But they, it seems like for some strange reason, there is a tension out there. And, and a, a lot of guys and gals who are planting churches want to live in the American dream and not in the mission of God. I, and I don't mean to be mean, but I think I, we see that. We, uh, it, it's funny you say this because I was meeting, I'm working with a, a group of guys in Oceanside and we are, um, church planning. Uh, we've got Oceanside carved up into, uh, every, every neighborhood, not every square city block, but every neighborhood that's identifiable, identifiable as a neighborhood. And we were just talking yesterday about how that, um, it is much harder to make you know, kind of cut a missional pathway um, in doing these things as opposed to a career path as a minister. Um, there are certain things you do as a career move um, when you're in pastoral ministry versus, no, I really want to reach people. And it, it's funny because you mentioned the conferences, and I think that's the thing that I'm noticing in conferences that that has just imbibed and drunk the Kool-Aid that the church culture has, and that is, hey, let's get celebrities on stage uh, rather than guys who are actually doing the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've not really seen too many guys get up on stage who've crashed and burned because they've, they've tried to make disciples. Uh, we see the guys who, who've only done well. And I think those guys who've crashed and burned a, a bit probably at times have something more important to say to us uh, yeah. because they've done, they've screwed up. And, yeah. and I think the landmines are much more dangerous than just having a, an excited spirit to run out there and, uh, and try to be the, the next big show. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you, you made a really interesting comment. You said that if you've launched your church, in other words, if you're running the show, by the time you're there, if you hadn't started making disciples, you probably statistically won't. And and I found that really intriguing. How do you, when you plan a church, just for our guys that are kind of new and they're going into church planning, they're hearing that and that's going to haunt them. And so what they're going to want is the tools to know, well, how do I disciple people before I launch then? What do you do, Justin? Well, I, I think it it starts with, you know, getting on the ground and building relationships. Uh, and then there, there's a few stories that I think every church planter should should be telling uh, before they launch a church. And and that first is you sh you should have the story of what Jesus has done in your life and the lives of others. And really, I think you should be sharing that at least three times a day with people, and and listening to their story too, and trying to find ways that their story has holes or I like to say fragments of the gospel story or, or sightings of Jesus that you can point to to help 
point people to Jesus, right? And so you, and I'm not a big hand out a track or you have to give, uh, you know, the gospel presentation uh, or the plan of salvation three times a day. I'm not talking about that, but really focusing on having spiritual conversations, building relationships and citing Jesus in their story and sharing Jesus's story. You will find that God has people out there who he's been working on that that want to decide to, to become Jesus's disciple. It's amazing. We just do the work. They're there. What does it look like if Justin, let's say you, you roll into my town and you're like, Hey, I'm here for four to six weeks and you see me. Cause a, a lot of the terminology we use, you know, um, having spiritual conversations, um, building relationships. It, I think a lot of, a lot of church planners out there are blinded by these terms because guys that have been in ministry for a number of years, they're hearing this and they are like, yeah, but what does that mean? Like, this, this is why I think, ironically, we have so many books on discipleship because we've made it this big, mysterious thing. And you and I both know it's super simple. So I'm going to just say brass tacks. You see Peyton Jones and you're like, I need to disciple well, that guy. What do you do? Because I get to work with you. It's a, it's a little different situation, right? Because uh, you're, you're a little more open to uh, not living in legalism. So uh, if I'm by myself, uh, I hang out in watering holes, sometimes bars if I'm with New Breed. Now, if I'm with the AG or the Southern Baptist, I don't get to go hang out in uh, but, but, uh, but, but if I'm with you, I can hang out at a bar. I can hang out at a coffee shop. And I, I just I sit down and I start talking to people, right? Uh, a spiritual conversation is any conversation where you can ask people uh, what their background is because someone's going to ask you what you're doing. Or what you're involved in, or why you're there. Sorry, and man, the, my computer is ringing. <laughs> we can hear it. Don't you hate that new Yosemite thing? Yeah, yeah and I have no idea how you, to make my computer stop. You get a phone call, and like your iPad starts ringing at you, your phone's ringing at you, your computer's ringing at you. It really, it really gets annoying quick. I had three devices ringing at me right then. My apologies, Justin. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. And, and so you just talk and. Ask them about themselves. You ask them how they're doing, and they'll open up. People want to share their story. They do. And, and so give them the platform. In fact, I would contend before you share your story, you should invite them to share theirs. Mm. And so as they, they let it go, you ask them questions. And, and one of the, the things that I, I tend to get to fairly quick, because people – are fairly transparent today if they're under the age of 45. You get to that problem place that they're struggling with something in their life. Unless they're trying to sell you something, right? Then they're always excited. But if they're just being a real authentic person, uh, the, they'll get to that place where, and, and you just say, how are you dealing with that? You know, mm -hmm. do, you have, do you have a place that supports you? Do you have a place that encourages you? Do you, have, you know, where are you at with this whole faith thing? Say, you know, I, I find great great comfort in faith and in, in the, the group of people I hang out with that kind of believe the way I believe. Do, do you have anything like that? And, and I ask questions and I'm direct. I don't, you know, a lot of people have mastered the art of keeping their faith on the down low. I find that even on the, the East coast where people are fairly anti-Christian, yeah. as long as you're just open and honest and upfront about it and yeah. not trying to shove it down their throat, they don't care that you talk about faith. They don't, it, it doesn't offend. And so that, I, I think the golden rule with 
talking with non-believers is, you know, don't be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that's the, you know, we got enough people that are just kind of like religious jerks and, you know, uh, they're used to that. Like they're, that's what they're waiting for. That's where the guardedness I believe is coming from in people. Oh yeah. And, and, and let's be honest, you, and they're like, hey, you're cool. Jerk. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Once they talk to you and they're like, Hey man, you're cool. You know? Yeah then they're more open because they, they feel safe. I think that's the burden that we have with people is we got to make them feel safe and safe to share, safe to talk, safe to, to say something that I don't believe. Cause I'm going to say something you don't believe, you know, and uh, you got to, that, that, that burdens on us, man. Yeah. Well, and, and I tend to end every conversation uh, after gauging kind of where they're at. There's, there's a few different avenues, but, uh, if people are digging and seem fairly open, uh, then I say, hey, you know, we're starting a new thing. We'd love for you to come check it out and give us your opinion. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Right. Yeah. This Amen. this says we need you to help us. And it's it's not threatening like, oh, you have to come. But we'd appreciate the favor if you come hang out with us. Uh, the second thing is uh, if they're not. If they're not open, uh, I always say, well, if you ever need anything, let this group of people I hang out with know, because I know they love to help people, right? So that's that's also a non-threatening. Now, if people are really tracking, I try to hook them up. Hey, when, when can we hang out again? When can right. we get together? And, you know, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I'll even in that four to six weeks, even build my own group. And I will explain to them if anyone buys in, if anyone decides to follow Jesus, or if anyone's just walking this to see where it, what it turns out to be. Well, if they're following me, like I follow Christ and they're going to follow me to either uh, an event with that church group, a launch service, a small group, depending on how church takes shape, right? There's all different types of ways. Uh, the, the worship gathering may take place, but I bring those people then with me into that group. So relationships, stories, sharing whatever I can, uh, buying people coffee, hanging out. Uh, I'll be honest, I've even done a budget for a person. That was their need. They were really struggling with finances. And I sat down at a coffee shop and helped a person map out their own personal life budget. And that was an entryway into helping them get involved in a church plant. I dig that, man. I absolutely dig that. And that, that I think is part of that versatility. What I was saying earlier, I know you don't have a formula. It's just literally going, Hey Lord, open a door. And I think, I think you see that in the apostle Paul when he's tooling around Asia minor and any, anywhere he went where he's just looking for an open door. He didn't care what size it is. He didn't care what kind of door handle it has on it. He didn't care what color it's painted. He sees a door and he's like, cool, that'll work. Well, and I want to challenge the people that are listening and, and part of your network and, and other networks. I, I'll make a deal with you. Prove me wrong. And no one has yet. And I, I tell lots of people this. Is there money involved? Will you give a money prize? Sure. I'll give you 150 bucks if you can prove you've actually. All right. All right. <laughs> if you wake up in the morning and you ask God to open the door to have a spiritual conversation and you go hang out around people and you don't have a spiritual conversation, if you sincerely ask God to give you one, 
in the morning before you start your day, you go hang out with people and you don't get one, I'll give you 150 bucks. Because I've, I've told thousands of people to do this and no one's ever come back to me and said, you know, I, I just can't, I just can't seem to have a conversation. Are you hanging out with, with corpses all day? That, that's my, you know, are you a coroner? Are you, you hanging out with cows all day because you're a farmer? I, go hang out with some people and I promise it'll happen. That's awesome, dude. I love that. You, you just gave me a quotable quote. I will be qu quoting that in the words of the sexy bald man, Justin Myers. I, uh, according to Pete, don't get uncomfortable as Pete <laughs> thought you're sexy, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to regret having said that. Quoting that. What's that? I'm going to regret having said that. Aren't I? <laughs> I set you up for it, pal. You did. Well, Hey, Justin, that is awesome. We're going to end on that note because I love that challenge, man. And just to let you know, I, I have more to ask you, but we're out of time and we will definitely want to have you back if that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you will, um, uh, you, you'll be in our radar, man. We want to track with you. We want to watch you. We want to check in with you. It'd be kind of like, uh, on Fraggle Rock that used to have, you know, uh, traveling Max. Was it traveling yeah. Max? The, uh, the, the Fraggle Muppet that was all over the place. That's you, man. So anyways, we want to, uh, check back in with you. So from time to time, man, I'm going to pick your brain because you sound like a bearded version of Church Zero. Cha-ching! Which uh, is the book. You and I are singing the same tune, man. So we, uh, Church Zero incarnate, Justin Myers. <laughs> so it's been great having you on the show, man. Thanks for coming. And this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.